Hello, and thank you for joining us on our maiden voyage, our very first episode of Conflicts, the podcast. What is this about? Well, basically, uh, where do I start? Well, I am Andrew Simpson. That's my name. I'm one of the uh, full-time film professors here at Confederation College's film program, Conflicts. We're a two-year program. We are a very technical heavy we're very much hands-on it's a very practical um, program every student here is going to make seven films in two years and crew on as many as 30 to 40 films over a two-year period it's a very intense program but we have a lot of fun doing it and being a program that wants to focus our students on not just the ability to tell stories and to make films but to also work in this industry to be employable to be a dynamic part of any film crew, um, we find ourselves talking a lot about the technical portions of this industry. And these are things that you don't really hear a lot about uh, in podcasts. Typically, you hear from directors, you hear from a uh, director of photography, uh, you might hear from a writer, uh, and of course, the on-screen performers. But the, um, the camera operators, the grips, the gaffers, special effects, makeup, uh, props, wardrobe, uh, not so much. And so we're hoping to uh, take this podcast to help focus, uh, to shine a light on some of the individuals in the Canadian film industry behind the scenes that are doing awesome work that you love watching. And so where possible, we are going to try and focus on people that are from the north. And our first episode here um, does just that. So our first episode for today is Ryan Lavia. Ryan is a graduate of the Confederation College Film Program, and after doing that, has spent his life making films and working in this industry pretty much exclusively here in Thunder Bay. He has a brand new project that's about to launch. Actually, by the time this episode airs, it will have launched, which is good timing for him. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about his history, uh, the path that he charted to find success in his life, and some of the many films that he has worked on and uh, helped create. So without further ado, this is episode one. I really hope you enjoy it. We've got some huge guests coming up all season, some, some real standouts, and uh, I hope you enjoy the ride. So episode one, let's go. So... Ryan Lavia, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I could think of no better guest to start with. You're looking at my note. No, I'm not. I have, I have glasses on. I cannot see. I'm reading my name. That's it. But no, thanks. That's, uh, I was uh, flattered that you had asked me. I did not know I was the first. Um, so that's news to me. But thank you so much for having me here. And so uh, I want to start at the beginning, obviously. I think that's, uh, for, for me, it's about knowing that everyone in this program and everyone in this industry, we all started somewhere. Like we probably didn't know that we were going to be in this industry. So you were born and raised in Thunder Bay. You're, you're, uh, this is your hometown? It is, yeah. No, born and raised in Thunder Bay. And my dad, actually, he ran movie theaters his whole life. So growing up, I was always tossed into a theater. So um, no babysitter, no problem. You know, just throw Ryan into the theater and he was entertained no matter what was showing. That, I, I, you know, I attest that to my love of cinema. And then finding out that I didn't have to move to study film and that Confederation College right in Thunder Bay had one of the finest film programs around was just butter, you know, buttering on the, however that's saying it, I can't yeah. even say it. Or, you know, icing on the cake. Icing on the cake, that's what I was going for. <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay, no brainer, let's, let's try to get in. And I, I, I remember it being quite competitive. 
so I was floored when I got my acceptance letter. I remember I was working at a crap job in the summer when I found out I'd be attending in the fall, and I, I couldn't be more thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I was rejected my first two years applying here, and my third year I was on the waiting list, and I didn't make it. Uh, and then the fourth year I did and was thinking about going to a school down in the south and just because their requirements were actually a little less stringent than it was up here, which was really weird. Um, you'd think Thunder Bay, oh, it's probably just a joke school. And then I got up here and was like, no, it's a complete opposite. This is the most serious, hardcore two-year program you're ever going to have and just put you through the ringer real hard, which was really neat. But um, yeah, same. I was I was blown away, Thunder Bay. Yeah, no, the fact that I was in my own backyard and I didn't have to, you know, move away. Although, you know, I, I, part of me misses that I didn't get to move away and do the college experience. But you know what? Use that money saved by uh, living in Thunder Bay still to uh, make films. So yeah, couldn't have been happier, couldn't have worked out better and uh, couldn't have been more thrilled of the education I got here over the course of uh, two years. I uh, We use the word family a lot and, and I know that could lean towards a cult thing at some point and we do work really hard. <laughs> yeah. So we have to we have to monitor our engagement to this program because yeah. uh, it can get cult-like at times. But yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a family and, and once you're, you know, once you're a part of it, you're a part of it for life, right? For better or worse, you come back and We'll help you make films. So, uh, so when you were at the movie theater, this was like your entire adolescence, basically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, uh, so when I, I got old enough to you know drive myself or even just go to the the films by myself, I was able to get in free to any theater in Thunder Bay because the managers had a mutual agreement. So uh, there was a time in my life where I would have seen every film that came out. My friends and I, that's how I made all my friends, I joke. You know, my birthday parties were at theaters. Come on, free movie. You know, whatever the film was, they would all show up in droves, no wonder. But there was a time in my life where I would have seen almost everything that came out. Um, Not just Hollywood films, uh, you know, independence, which I think is important. If you want to try to make films, you can't just watch the mainstream stuff. Mm -hmm. And as we spoke about earlier, the history of cinema can be more important to uh, a filmmaker's repertoire. Did any uh, films stick out for you? Any any memories in the theater as a child, as a teenager? You know what? One of my favorites was always Dick Tracy. I probably saw that one the most. I always wanted to go back and continue to watch it over and over again, and I was always thoroughly entertained. And I would try to mimic Al Pacino's uh, uh, the way he spoke in it. So it, that was that's one that comes to mind. Um, but no, it, yeah, there was so many and one that I remember my dad introduced me to and and really got my love of cinema. I was, I was a little too young probably to see it was. Um, he showed me Goodfellas, mm-hmm. uh, and Scorsese is well, that probably had a reason as to why he's now my favorite filmmaker and has been for years. Uh, so, yeah, but that was uh, that was back then, and it it was almost like um, a history lesson in film, having seen so much. And you know yeah. what? Not all of them were good. That's important too. Mm-hmm. Like you don't only have to watch good things. You know, and, and I use the term good use loosely here. Of course. You know, you know art's Interpretation. Art. Exactly, yeah. art's art. But I think it's important to see all sorts of films, and I, I was fortunate enough to have that avenue through, you know, connections. For me, like the theater was great and all, but for me it was the Sunday afternoon movies on TV. Uh, there was this ultramatic bed where you could, like, uh, it goes up and down and there's like a vibrating thing on it. If you subscribe for the information package, you could get a free color TV and all this stuff. And so this would go on for like four hours, but there'd be like two movies playing. And typically you'd get some cult classics. Like that's where I saw Slapshot. I had no idea what this was, just turned it on. Oh, cool. And it ended up being kind of entertaining. But then there were lots of really terrible movies that I would see on there too. And it was fantastic because you got to see the same actors. You got to see the same genres. 
and you got to see them in a way that was uh, less than satisfactory. And then it forces you to ask, well, why? A film I saw that really stuck with me was Death Valley, and it starred Peter Billingsley, who I had just seen in A Christmas Story. He was the star of A Christmas Story. And he was in... Um, uh, that I think like the BMX kid or the motorcycle kid or something. He had been in a couple of movies, and then he was on Who's the Boss. So I knew this kid, and I was really into like how cool Ralphie was. And uh, he's the star of this film, and I couldn't stand it. I thought it was the most boring thing I'd ever seen. In retrospect, I've grown to to like like it now, but as a teenager, yeah, I couldn't stand it. So then I would watch it, and like, why? Why did this not work? Why am I watching one of my favorite actors and I'm bored to tears? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Comes down to story. You know what I mean? You know, you can put the best actor in front of the camera with the most fantastic crew surrounding him or her. And uh, if the story doesn't work, they're not going to be able to save it. Mm-hmm. So those are some bad movies. But like for me, there was uh, a movie or two movies that really solidified me. Yeah, I'm doing this. Did you have one of those films? You saw it and you're like, I don't know what it is, but I think film is now my calling it was uh, 94 uh, it may have been 95 i know it came out in 94 but my friend and i were walking through a uh, blockbuster and a film stood out on the shelf and i remember seeing it the case was white the title was only five letters and it was in bold red and there was a, a woman cop on her knees in the middle of a, a vast snowy field and the movie was fargo so we picked it up we didn't know the Coen brothers, anything before then. And we brought it home and we watched it at home. And when it faded to black at the end, there was absolute silence. We looked at each other and like, what the hell did we just see? This was fantastic. Yeah. So back to even the uh, then Bicycle Thief, I, I told you had that effect on me back in college. This, I guess, would obviously before then. But uh, that was my first kind of glimpse into true independent cinema. Mm-hmm. That one there stands out. That I attest to, you know, movies can be different. Yeah. You know, so yeah. uh, the Coen Brothers, anything they do, uh, I'll watch. So, but that was my um, first experience and it was through home video. I, I would almost bet a nickel that that film prob- probably didn't even show here right. at that time. Um, Which is weird considering the proximity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, no, that I, I, I could, uh, yeah, definitely Fargo comes to mind. It's a, it's a masterpiece. It really is a masterpiece yeah. in yeah. so many ways. And with its own set of rules and how it wants to do things. I, yeah, the set of rules is important because I didn't know I could laugh at such tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you chuckle at people's misfortune in that, and that was something else that was new to me. Like, sad ending of uh, Bicycle Thieves was new to me in, in college. Fargo, being able to, the black comedy, was new to me then. And that genre, to this day, is is my favorite. Yeah, I, I, the films of Martin McDonough come to mind. They're all just similar. You know, you're going to laugh at people's misfortunes, but it's a good story. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a safe space to feel how you want to feel, <laughs> Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, so you're seeing films. You're, you're, you're getting inspired. Your dad has a connection to, to, to film, and obviously that's awesome. So before film school, did you make anything? Did you try making films and yep yep actually my grandmother um had a, a a video camera and i did attempt some shorts and also some uh, my friends and i would get together and because i was the artsy one uh, and the rest of them were we all pretended to be athletes i would do uh, color commentary awesome all to video and we'd watch them back and so that was my first and i would show parents and stuff like that and people were entertained um, so I think those were the first films I made, quote unquote films, but that was my first time creating something and then entertaining people 
through television mm-hmm. at that time because they, they were, uh, I think they were high eight tapes, so you had to need some adapter, a VHS adapter that you would pop it in and it would play when you put it in the VCR. Um, so yeah, that was at an early age. Yeah, just kept buying tape, taping over all my old films just to keep making new ones. And then, yeah, just knew that uh, it became a hobby and then a passion. And then, yeah, tried to pursue it. And then, so yeah, you went to film school. I guess you started in 2001. Yep, yep. Started in 2001, uh, graduated in 2003. I remember actually going up to Dennis and saying, why isn't this program longer? You know, because you learn so much over the course of two years. And uh, you know what? Truthfully, I didn't want to leave. Yeah, most Um, people don't. Yeah, no, because it's scary. You don't know what next. You know, you have this great education. You have, you leave here with a handful of produced films. Not that any of them are any good. Like everyone looks, (laughs) mine were terrible. (laughs) Yeah, so you make a handful of films. And I shouldn't say that. You know, my thesis film in uh, year two, it did play in a few film festivals. And it did get me uh, some recognition uh, also locally through the North of Superior Film Association here in Thunder Bay. Mm -hmm. It's a little mini, mini film festival who at that time reviewed the college thesis films. Somebody from the board of directors would come to the film night and then they would, um, they would vote upon them and actually was awarded uh, one of their, I I don't know what the term was, best of. Um, So that put a smile on my face because that that was the first award that I received for filmmaking. And that was a a little thesis film that I made here, uh, No Guts, No Glory, about a boxer who has the aspiration of making it big but gets knocked out relatively early in a boxing match to someone smaller and ends up being a movie ticket taker. I uh, uh, so I watched it. <laughs> okay. I watched it last yeah. week. It's I've got my notes right here. Oh, excellent! And um, I wanted to say two things about it. Number one, it reminded me a lot of this great bit from SCTV. Did you ever watch SCTV? Back I in the did day? not. I know of it, but I can't say that I was a, a like tuned into it. There was this great sports uh, special thing they did with John Candy, where he's this up and coming boxer, and it's all about this build and this build and this build. And so it's the big night, 12 rounds. It's expected to go the distance. He gets knocked out two seconds into the first round. So then the sketch becomes the commentators having to stretch 45 minutes <laughs> with nothing happening. And it's wonderful. It's a wonderful bit. And just reminded me of it. It's like, oh, this is great buildup and then, and then bump. But what's really interesting, and, and, and I guess we'll come full circle at some point as we talk about your more current stuff, is you seem to at some point be tethered to sports. Uh, you seem to come back to sports time and time again. Um, what, and, you know, and also like music and other creative aspects, but, um, what is it about sports that, that, that you find so appealing in a cinematic form? I, and I have my parents to thank for this. They, they put me in sports at a young age and, uh, and I remember I wanted to, and baseball wasn't my sport. And it's really weird to say that coming from Thunder Bay, um, being a hockey town, but I wanted to quit at a young age cause I, I really wasn't that good. Uh, but I remember coming home and my mom saying, you're not quitting. You're doing this for the summer. I'm like, okay, fine. And then uh, for whatever reason, I I practiced a bit more and got, and got fairly good. And it was a passion of mine. Like I, I was then made better teams, traveled a bit with it, met a lot of great people and friendships through sport. And I think it is, uh, I think it is important and it build, it's a character builder because you learn just as much when you lose as when you win. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, and you can't always win. And if you make films, you're not going to please everybody, you know? So it kind of toughened my skin. Yep. I don't know. There's, there's a beauty in, in sports stories because everyone thinks it's all glamorous, but there, there, there's always someone on the other end. You know what I mean? Um, and Same with film. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So that was, I think that's probably why I, I maybe 
go back to telling sports stories here and there. But um, I, I think and, – and some great movies are sports themed. You know what I mean? Some of my all-time favorites. Absolutely. Any Given Sunday is Any one of my Sunday, top ten. Um, Field of Dreams. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it, – for a good laugh, I've Major League again. I'm going back to baseball. But the the boxing movie, No Guts, No Glory – the theme I, I, I thought strongly of, because a lot of people have dreams and sometimes you're going to try really hard and you're just not going to get there, but it's reality. So that's kind of where I went with that movie. Yeah, but you did it. You know what I mean? I did, yeah. You know what I mean? You did it. And yeah. I mean, and same for the boxer, right? It's yeah. an important story. You know, you don't sit on your butt all day. Exactly. Dennis, going back to one of our professors, he had this analogy with learning the guitar. Mm. I've always wanted to learn the guitar. Well, I'll see you in five years because you can pick it up right now and it's going to be painful and there's going to be a ceiling to how well you are. But in five years, you can either play or you can't. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to screw this up, I'm sure. But I, I think there is uh, people say that you have to work at, at whatever it is you want to be proficient at for 10,000 hours mm -hmm. before you actually are good at it. You're going to be putting in a lot of time, and there's no such thing as an overnight success. And I, that was a major theme of that film, too. You know, people you know dream of glory, but they're not willing to put in the work. But And some people do put in the work, and you know what? The glory is just out of reach. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you graduated. What was your post-graduate life like? I wanted to tell stories. And being a grad, I graduated in 2003. Technology was just evolving into... Uh, home affordability, camcorders of good quality and, and, and whatnot. Um, so I knew I wanted to make films. There's two ways to go about that. I could move, work my way up, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just didn't want to do it that way. So there was um, some opportunity for me to get some money to start a production company. And at that time to pay the bills, I would do weddings and promo videos and internet videos because the internet was just starting to take off with content. And so, yeah, so uh, Pastime Productions was started in 2004. And uh, yeah, I've been at it ever since. And it's been, I guess, my label behind all my productions uh, since. And there's a website there you can always check out as well. Uh, so you can see a lot of uh, Ryan's work. So it's in 2007 that we finally met. So it was a summer between first year and second year. And I was, the, I was a big keener, an older student. I was in my mid-20s. And so I didn't have the same relaxed attitude as some of my students did. I had a lot to catch up. And we met at the production meeting for The Sensitive Nurse, which was an Eric Weller production. He had been contracted by Lakehead University to make a series of videos on teaching nursing students coming from the South on some of the unique practices that are employed in hospitals here in the North that are technically against certain codes in, in other regions. And uh, it was a real eye-opening experience. And I was on your team. You were, the, you were the producer for our team. So it was you, myself and Damien Gilbert, another conflicts grad. And so what a time we I had. I forgot about that. But when you were when you were starting to talk there, it, it dawned on me, holy crap, we did that enormous project together yeah. back in 06, 07. I've got a creepy good memory, so I take no No, that would, that, that's great. Thank you for that. No, we had a blast. I think, yeah, we were commissioned to make a couple films and travel northwestern Ontario to different hospitals and capture footage and create these uh, short uh, videos. Half hour long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the uh, the nursing practice around here. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And yeah, that was a, a great experience. That was probably my first official paid experience outside of college. Another great thing about the college is if, if opportunities like that come up, they like to hire former grads. And I was around. I'm sure there was no other reason than that, than why Eric <laughs> hired me. But yeah, so I remember, yeah, we, we did uh, got in a car and went to some 
remote towns around and capture some footage with Damien. I do remember that. And it was always, uh, the dream was always it to win Telly Gold. Telly Gold. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Yes. Yeah, yes. Telly to this gold. day, I yeah. haven't gotten my telly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no, neither have I. But that was an ongoing joke when uh, making those <laughs> projects. Yeah. So we went to uh, Atacokan. Yep. Uh, Dryden. Did we go to Fort Francis? Fort Francis. Fort Francis is where we got accosted by the American tourists. Yes. And then also we went to the Sioux. We went to, uh, no, not the Sioux, um, Sioux Lookout. Sioux Lookout, not Sioux And that, yeah. Was, yeah. that was by far my favorite experience. Obviously, we, uh, we met some incredible people there. And one of the nurses, Trish, ended up taking the program. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So she took the program. I think she started two years after I graduated. So she was a nurse in Sioux Lookout and saw what we were doing, and she had a passion for film. And we just started talking afterwards and developed a really great friendship. And then one day she told me she was taking the program, and she was like me. You know, she was older. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're in your mid to late 20s, you don't, you don't have time to waste. She moved to Vancouver afterwards, and she's working in the industry. Oh, that's awesome. No, I yeah. did not know that. No, I do know, I do remember uh, making that stop because there was those handful of towns that we stopped at. But that's, uh, that's a great story. And uh, I, I still bug her to this day about the, uh, the haunted hospital story. Yes, yes. I remember the lights uh, yeah. flickering on the hallways and stuff like that. I do remember hearing yeah. the stories. And us reviewing the footage, trying to see if there was any sort of you know, apparition <laughs> sitting in the background there. We totally pulled some unsolved mysteries, yeah, and we yeah. thought we were going to catch something. But yeah, the story were so visceral and terrifying we were staying up late with a couple of nurses at this hospital and they told us some stories that just made my skin crawl and i watch a lot of horror films and i was i was terrified it was great i have those films somewhere i'm gonna have to rewatch that sometime absolutely yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I learned I learned so much because, again, like with this program, Eric was very hands-off. He said, this is what I need. This is your delivery date, and this is my expectation of quality. Mm-hmm. And then he would just check in on us, make yeah. sure we weren't uh, slipping in any one way or shape or form. That would have been my first time producing and, uh, and uh, kind of directing um, that remote the remote shoots there and uh yeah delivering what was promised yeah on time and on budget i know right we did it two important we factors would... when making films <laughs> i remember we were so under budget i tried to i and i think it was successful i tried to convince you both to get some mcgriddles the morning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then we arrived back in thunder bay it's yeah, like we've absolutely. got money in our budget yeah yeah no that was uh that was a big learning learning experience because like i said uh, nothing's more important in this industry than, than delivering uh, on time and on budget yeah cool and so then the following year, I, I was a second-year student. Uh, I made my thesis film starring uh, Don DeLorme, our famous professor. And, uh, and then it got selected at a film festival to play in Sudbury. And that was when I ran into you next. Uh, you were there with Unsaid. No, Unsaid. That was the, I would say that was my first out-of-pocket independent film outside of uh, film school. Put together enough funds to get a proficient crew together, wrote the script, and shot that, and uh, yeah, it did all right, and that's that would have been our next face to face in yeah. in Sudbury. In for Sudbury, the, uh, what were the uh, the MFM awards? MSM awards. That was what it was. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was there for editing my film, and then uh, Corey Lecky, who was shot, who shot my film, was there for cinematography. So yeah, that was a great time. We got. We got wined and dined. We got and, wined and dined. And that was, was a great experience. And it I couldn't was. Speak, high, speak highly enough of it. Uh, is it still going on? I don't believe so. No. I keep looking in. I, I think it's modified and morphed into yeah. different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was blown away. And I have to admit, I, f- I felt special. Yeah, no, it was great. That was my first time getting nominated. And for that picture, it was for director. So that really gave me the inspiration to continue to do it you know what i mean like i'm not just patting myself on the back here other people who had zero attachment to nominated me didn't win but that's i didn't need that 
Yeah. You know, I just needed that little little bit to tell me that I'm kind of doing something right. So yeah, the MFM awards are, are were always a great time in Sudbury. Yeah, yeah, very humbling, very humbling. Again, thank you for that yeah, yeah, reminder. No, totally good. forgot about it. And so uh, after that, you know, I, 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 I left Thunder Bay and I went and, and, and tried to make my mark in Toronto. While you were here, a few years later, you were able to take part in, in a feature film called 50 Kisses. And I saw your portion of that. It was called Red Light. This was from uh, 2012. Clearly, I mean, obviously you could look at it. You can tell this is very European. The punchline, I was like, only in Europe is this punchline going to fly. But it was fantastic. I just want to say off the bat, it's very funny. It's on the website, I believe. It is, yep. The full feature film is on the website. And I think that was probably the biggest jump of my career. It was an international competition based out of London, England, uh, that run, ran in conjunction with the London Screenwriters Festival, mm -hmm. which is a big screenwriting conference. And I think it still goes on today. Chris Jones, it was his brainchild. It was his idea through the internet. I don't know how I came across it, but I came across the competition and I remember there needing to be international in, in scale. You had to submit a short script and there was only three prerequisites required in your script. It had to be, I think, three, no longer than three pages. It had to take place on Valentine's Day and there had to be a kiss because the, um, the final film's title was 50 Kisses. Mm -hmm. And the idea being... 50 short films of two to three minutes would be edited together under the similar theme of the three things I just said mm -hmm. uh, to make a feature length film. And so I, I wrote the short, submitted it without any expectation whatsoever. And uh, lo and behold, I remember vividly because I think it's a six hour time difference. I remember waking up and checking my emails and there being an email from the organizers saying that my short film titled Red Light has been chosen to be uh, part of the 50. I'm like, holy shit. Are you serious? What? Wow. Uh, lo and behold, uh, it was the only Canadian script chosen. Congratulations. And I'm not going to remember the figure, but it was there was over 2,500 international applicants that tried to be one of the 50. So uh, I was blown away. I didn't know how to celebrate. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know even know what to do with, what to do next. So a great gang out of London uh, picked mine to produce. And it is very English. It, it works really very well. English. And they did a stunning job. Yeah. And th that was also an eye-opener because no one has ever made something I've written. Right. You know, yeah. I always produced everything I wrote. So I didn't know what this experience would be like. But I couldn't have asked for a better team. And again, I didn't choose them. They just, they chose my story and interpreted it the way they interpreted it. So they turned my words into a, a short film that made the final cut in 50 Kisses. And yeah, it got a lot of laughs. Yeah. I, I, I thought to myself, I remember thinking, how am I going to stand out? How am I going to stand out in this, what's sure to be an over-applied to competition? So I don't want to ruin anything, but I was applauded, but also not all the accolades were, were 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 promising a lot of people thought that i kind of the way i told the story was not cheating but it wasn't officially a quote-unquote kiss i and i was gonna say it's not really a kiss <laughs> but um I that's can't that, go into more details than that yeah we don't want to ruin it for people but um that's how i knew i would stand out yeah and i took a chance yeah i, I said you. you know what you could dq me if you want i don't care i'm not i'm not getting paid for this you know it's just to see what my writing skills would be like or in, in competition with i'm sure i knew thousands would would apply and lo and behold they chose it as one of the 50 i think there were actually 51 
I think that in the end, for whatever reason, there were 51 shorts chosen for the the film 50 Kisses. But yeah, so it was picked, produced, uh, films from all over the world, edited together by yeah. the main crew based out of London in Chris Jones, uh, under Chris Jones' direction. And then, so now they had a two-hour-plus movie, and then they're going to do a world premiere. Mm-hmm. They rented out a fantastic cinema, The Genesis, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted everyone to participate for the premiere. I'm like, holy shit, man. What, do I go? I remember thinking, I'm not going to go. But it was co-workers that said, you know what, you're going to regret this if you don't go. Like, you may never have a, a premiere again. You're young. Just go do it. It was also my first over-the-pond experience by myself. So I went, flew into London, stayed a week, uh, had a couple of days to take in all the tourist sites because I'm not going just for the premiere. You know, I've never been. Attended the premiere, and yeah, it was fantastic. Red carpet, uh, media. They sold out the auditorium a few times at night, and it was the number two film that weekend in London per screen average, I think they, they judged it by. So we only had one screen. Right. But we sold it out numerous times at inflated ticket price because it was an off or special, a gala, a gala yeah. special event. So we made the trades papers. And I think the movie that was ahead of us was called The Book Thief. Oh, I know that one. I, I think it had the uh, more, and that's a studio movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, that had more screens and inevitably had a larger per screen average than ours, little one screener. But yeah, I remember being floored and uh, meeting the the team that made my script. Had a good How time. How was that? Had drinks. Yeah. No, they were they were they were spot on. We kept in touch for a bit there. We've, we we've lost contact since, but uh, great team. And uh, yeah, I, I thank them for turning my words into what they did, and it was it was a great experience. Long story short, but I I will end by saying it is in the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, we are all, every writer that was a part of it. Mm-hmm is in the Guinness Book of World Records as uh, the most screenwriters on a theatrically distributed feature film at 51. Very cool. I don't remember the movie we beat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Forever in a Day might be the name of the one we beat that had like 30 writers on it, but we had 51. So cool. Yeah, so uh, not many people know that, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, definitely a highlight of my career to date for sure. So... You stopped there. I haven't made a movie since. That's not true. And so what we do, we keep going. We keep making stuff. And that's what, uh, that's the type of student we love here at Conflicts, the people who just keep making stuff. So you just kept going. You made a documentary in uh, 2017, I believe, with uh, called Making Music. That had three individuals there. I guess they were all, uh, It's from, from watching the documentary, it's almost like kismet how these three random people just sort of came together and we're able to make beautiful music, and of course, the film ends up with, um, uh, I guess, the producer of the of the music going to Abbey Road Studios in uh, in, in England. I, I guess you're, you know, there you go. Your your films tend to just go back to England for some reason, <laughs> and uh, and so it was wild. I'm a huge Beatle maniac. Right? Awesome. I'm a massive Beatles fan. Yep. And so just to be able to see some of those BTS shots in the film and and see what it really looks like there and everything was just amazing. I so actually how did worked. That yeah, I actually worked with Adam Sabaz. At my current job, he was in the building, and he had just bounced this idea off him. Three, old, they're all friends: Ken Kennedy and Mike Karen. And uh, Mike Karen has since passed. Okay. Yeah. So it's it would. He was the fellow who went to London. He was the fellow who went to London. Oh. He went to Abbey Road and got him mixed with the same producer as the Beatles. Amazing. There. Yeah. So we miss him, but it was pitched to me just in passing, and I said, you know what? I think there's a story there. Let's give me, you know, a month to prep, and we'll do it in a couple nights or whatever, and uh, I'll add it together, see if there's a story. So 
very proud of it. It, it flows nicely. It, 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 I wanted it to uh, also showcase their, their music. Yeah. There is no music in it till the third act, mm-hmm. and that was on purpose. Again, everyone's a critic. Like uh, I, I got a lot of negative comments that there should be soundtrack under, but that was never my intention. I didn't want to spoil the music at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I wanted to highlight it and kind of come full circle at the end. So that was always an intention. Yeah. But people I don't think, think about that. Yeah. Yeah. People always, yeah. I've, I've, I've received some, some, uh, flack about that, but fun project again, uh, applied for grants. Nothing didn't stop us. I owned all the gear. Didn't take much time. Yeah. And still keep in touch with Adam and Ken. Uh, Ken Kennedy doesn't live too far from me, actually, in my neighborhood. And uh, we cross paths quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, so that was a fun project. Um, again, just another uh, a documentary to prepare me what's to come. I always want each project to be more challenging and larger than the previous. So that was just another little uh, fun documentary. So I get, were you and Adam friends before this i guess yeah or? that's your work yeah like, just, yeah it was just yes, we were yeah we were uh, co-workers and uh he actually took the film program as well he did he did yes okay so this is all coming back to me yes he was in the same class as trent opelock yes yeah. yes 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 no this is all uh now it's all coming back to me that that's that was a common denominator we had as well is uh and he took it uh yeah trent's year and so that got us talking and he had gotten out of the film and pursued music and um, tech stuff, IT stuff, um, but always had a love for film, speaks, still speaks highly of the program. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, like, I mean, we hit it off right away, right? Yeah, I'm like, so. absolutely, let's make this film. I just met him for the first time um, officially a couple months ago. and He and works here now. He, he does, he works absolutely, here. Yeah. And so yeah. it was, uh, that's how we, we, we started talking. Um, in history of film class, I wanted to do something special one day, and he came running up and said, do you have anything 4K that's 7.1 surround? And I was like, oh, I know what this is about because it's our, our new theater that's being built. And so, yeah, we went and grabbed uh, Apocalypse Now. Excellent. And, uh, and so he's behind test. that, the, the new uh, He's He's one of the people behind it, yeah. Wow, yeah. wow, small world. And so that's the thing. It's all it's it's really neat. But, I, again, what I love about Thunder Bay and what I love about this program is that it nurtures a, 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 an, a, a relentless urge to create. You know what I mean? Whether it's music, whether it's film, whether it's anything. Just this relentless urge to just keep making something, and so you and Adam, your your journey didn't stop at that. So a couple years later, you're 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 back at it with uh with uh, Dear Dad, um a really fun little film that you made there, and uh, it's it's although you have some voiceover, it's clearly a one person show, so it's all it's all on Adam, and um, having watched it, and it was a very a very funny film. Um, I noticed a couple of other graduates from the program. Jessica Graham was your cinematographer for the project. And, of course, she's now one of our professors here in the film program. And then Matt King as the uh, camera assistant. So a bit of a conflicts reunion there. Absolutely, yeah. No, and uh, again, applied for funding, didn't get funded. So this was another out-of-the-pocket project. Knew that Jessica and... Uh, Matt were around. I, I wanted to get away from, because with the other movies we spoke about, I was also the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Didn't really want to do that. I wanted to work with someone else. And Jessica's, uh, I've always been a fan. And we worked together on some other uh, projects as well. And they both jumped on board when I had asked. And Adam was eager to pursue acting again after he got the bug of of making music and said he would love to be the dad in this. A lot of my shorts do have similar themes in that they're, they're simply told. Yeah. I'm not going to, uh, with my, my films, I, I've... And it was never my intention. I was never the flashiest filmmaker ever. Mm-hmm. Never will be. 
Um, I am much more interested in just pointing the camera to whatever you're pointing it at and let it kind of do its thing. Um, you're not going to see flashiness from any of my films, uh, and you're going to see very minor crews and characters, only because I like to use what I have uh, without any funding. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to go into debt um, trying to make something that might play, right? especially being a short. You know, there, the, uh, the cinematography behind that film was very clean. It was a very clean shot film. And my, my impression of it, and I always say impression because I'm sometimes completely off, um, is that it very mirrors what, what you said, where it, we, we weren't muddying um, the experience with flashy gimmicks. It was, we're here for a story, and it was a performance piece. you know. And sometimes I come off as a bit of a hard-ass teacher to some of the students because sometimes I look at what they want to do, and I'm like, oh, I get it, but I call it a tech flex what you're doing actually doesn't help the story in any way, shape, or form. It's just a fancy shot for the sake of a fancy shot. And sometimes that's cool. Sometimes a project warrants fancy for the sake of fancy. But I think sometimes it can be very distracting. Similar to what you, you had had a criticism earlier for your other film, uh, Making Music, I actually agree with your choice. I thought, I thought if, you're, if you're playing a lot of their music early on, the audience is going to be trying to hear their music while hearing the words. And you want to wait for that, you know? You, when we play you the music, we want to have your attention. And we will have earned that through the story that we're trying to tell. So I think sometimes, um, and I could be speaking on behalf, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of your, your critics here, but I think sometimes it's like, it would have been better if, but it's only because they never had that option. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I have Jessica to thank for that as well. Uh, very simple. I didn't want a flashy moving camera. Just we're going to stick it here on sticks, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit of handheld, and uh, we're going to let the story unfold through Adam. And it does. Yeah. It does well, really well. You. I loved it. Thank you. But I have to admit, the one I liked better was the year after when you made Glitch. So, again, we're going back to Adam. So <laughs> you and Adam seem to be uh, a pretty tight <laughs> He's team. Cheap. He's, He's cheap. He's cheap. Yeah. Okay. He's cheap. There yeah. we go. Um, and, and I will, I will say there, uh, the camera work got a little more avant-garde. Um, again, very simple composition with regards to movement, but we're picking some really unique angles and we're really forcing the, the geography of the frame, right? So that, so that the elements of the characters and everything, it fits geometrically to also tell a story. I caught that right away. And, um, Adam was phenomenal. I thought he was a really exceptional in this film because it's all about minimalist. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that can go one of two ways, and he took it the right way. No, he's 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 good at. And again, I'm not going to take all the credit. He, yeah. I I don't like to over direct. You know, I'll give them what they need to know, and then let them go from there. And Adam, yeah, knocked it out of the park. That project there, yeah. So you're absolutely right. And I tried a few different things only because I knew that even the gear, that was my first 4K project shot in uh, edited in 4K, knowing that the project that's to come would be using the same gear. Right. So I want to flex the muscles and to see how uh, much we can go and push mm -hmm. the tech for, the, for the, the next project. And so again, simple story, all, uh, that's my house. Uh, we literally use three rooms and two actors, uh, voice, a little bit of voiceover. And again, I'm never going to blow you away with my style. I always like to say story is my style. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'd much rather see a film shot on an iPhone just sh and, and somebody delivering a strong performance and telling me uh, a powerful story than music video type of editing and flashy lights, 
you know, and camera angles and stuff yeah. like that. That's not my jam. No, and no, not not no, not discouraging anyone it. who does no. it. But it's just not who I am. And I, I learned that very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know my limits as a filmmaker. I'll never reinvent the wheel. There are people who are always going to be way more talented at what I do. Mm-hmm. But I, I always, when I write Fade In, it's simplicity first. Knowing I don't want to overdo it and knowing that I, I know what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. And so that's why all the films may have that few locations, few actors, and very few crew. Because I, I think if you work with a large crew, it may intimidate the actors who are all amateurs. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, idle hands, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the more busy you can keep a crew. So, I, again, sometimes I get yeah. uh, criticized for being a little harsh. No. But uh, when I tell the students, no, you need to cut down your crew, it's because it would be far better to have four people working consistently than eight people working half the Absolutely. time. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? That goes even goes back to Fargo that we uh, spoke about earlier. I remember sitting through the credits. I don't often, and at that time, I do now. Yeah. I wouldn't sit through credits, but they're not long. They weren't long. Mm-hmm. So that made me realize that you could tell stories well with a small amount of pr- people and a small amount of gear. As long as the story's legit, people will tune in. Yep, absolutely. It's just a frame. It is. Whatever happens in that frame, that's all you're worried about, right? Yeah. Yep. And so um, I, w- I moved back to Thunder Bay in 2019 to teach, and we were going to hang out. Uh, you opted to have a child instead. <laughs> uh, I don't take it personal. And so this is actually our first time hanging in person, and I've been here for a few years now. But it was, it was a post that you gave during COVID, during the lockdown, when I was super starving for content. You had released this documentary online, and it was Cup Confidential. And I watched it several times. A, I'm a hockey fanatic. I mean, I love hockey. But it was a really great story. So there's a lot of questions I want to ask because you got a lot of people involved. I mean, you had several players. You had the coach. You had some people phoning in, obviously, because not everyone is from Thunder Bay or stayed in Thunder Bay. But you got some great news footage. How did this happen? How did this story fall on your lap? I remember the story popping up on my computer screen at work. It came through the CBC webpage, Mm -hmm. read it. I was curious. It was about this early 90s hockey club in Thunder Bay, new league, a new team that won the first uh, ever Colonial Cup, only to have it been misplaced after they won the championship and turn up in February 2019. That's when the story came out. I looked at who wrote the story, and it was by Chris Ketnan, who I know. Reached out to him. I said, listen, loved your story. Thoroughly entertained me. You need to tell me, is there more to what your, you know, I don't know, 600-word story is telling me? And he just wrote back, oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> okay, enough for a documentary. He's like, oh, yeah. Let's do this. You in? He's like, oh, yeah. So, okay, so that's Chris helped me co-produce it. His journalism skills helped me find who I needed. So all the players, coaches, opponents, mm-hmm. referees. Yeah, yeah, there's some opponents too, which yeah, was opponent, great. Yeah. yeah, no, that was a good point of view. I'm glad we got that because it's one thing to hear the story from the winning team and how they instilled fear through their mouths. The Thunder Bay flu. The yes. Thunder Bay flu. When you hear it coming out of an opponent's mouth, you know it's legit. Yeah. So we tracked uh, that individual down. That had to be a phoner. And that film was affected by COVID in that I would have had even more players. We had more lined up. But I didn't know, and nobody knew what COVID was, and I wasn't going to be the first to mess people up. So we shot our last interview, I think, February 2020, and I think it was the Everton interview. Okay. If I if I recall, Everton Blackman, the the, the, who won the he he scored the goal. The game. He's not even from Thunder Bay. Oh. 
he works for a company and he just so happened to have business in town. So when I reached out to him, he had said, how does this work? I'm like, okay, it has to happen here because I'm about to go on a family holiday yeah. the week after and I'll be gone for two weeks and it's not going to work. He's like, I'll make it work. So he actually came to Thunder Bay, not being from here, take part in it. And without that interview, the story doesn't work. I agree. Like he is the backbone of the whole story. He scored yes. the game winning goal yeah. uh, and his, he drops a bomb in, in, in the film yeah. that it's no one knew. Oh, no wow. Okay. That's the first time he ever spoke of it. Really? And I remember because... Um, we're not going to say what it is, by the way. Watch the movie. We're not going to say what movie. it is. Please watch the film. I remember looking over. So Chris has the questions, talking to him, and I'm behind the camera. And when he had said that, I, my eyes and my jaw, just, we just kind of made eye contact. And we knew we had something then. And that his his interview is the backbone of the story. Keeps it going. But everyone did great. It was a fun project. And it did really well. I could say I could honestly say, having made whatever half a dozen films, it is the one story, one film where I did not receive one negative comment <laughs> from awesome. anyone. My e I still have uh, the email open for Cup Confidential because I keep it live online, and it it is it's growing in popularity again. Fantastic! Like it, it's starting to spread again, yeah. and it it picks up around hockey season. I still keep every email that I ever received from it as a reminder that it actually made people happy. Yeah. People wrote me and, and told me that, man, I remember going to the games with my mom or my dad when I was a kid and it bringing joy. And it was just, hockey's not the same as, and it, that, that's, this is all in the documentary, touch on it, how it's changed. But it, it, it brought back a lot of memories, happy memories for people. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't have been more thrilled. So I kept every single email that, and I, re I replied to as many as I could, um, but uh, extremely proud of how it turned out. Played played wonderfully around because it was released December 11th, 2020. So I, I knew I wanted that Christmas release. Yeah. Gifts and stuff like that. Sold out of Blu-rays in a week. Fantastic. 250 of them. Uh, yeah, it couldn't have worked out better. And then we just had uh, its stream online. And uh, a local telecom was kind enough to have it on the VOD system. A lot of kind words from the community about it. Again, coming from everywhere. Yeah. It played, uh, people streamed it from all over. I think, and I, I don't want to, it played in over 200 cities around the world. And uh, yeah, it was, it was humbling. I remember because I had done the website as well and the Google Analytics in the back end. And I remember on December 11th, 12th, 13th, that opening weekend, which in film, it's, it's big always looking at the world map as where, where people were watching it from and just being floored. Like, how the hell did they find it? It's, it is, I mean, I enjoy your work, but it is a huge step up. Yeah, it's a jump. But I think also what the film does, everyone loves telling these stories. Like, you can see, like, everyone is like, no, that like... There was a there was a radio host you interviewed a woman uh, I forget her name yeah there's a few that worked in 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 broadcasting and yeah she she says like this was our hockey night in Canada yes that's her quote yeah yeah and I was like that's that's beautiful and then the the next fifteen minutes just showcases that mm -hmm. it showcases how important this team was to the community and also uh, the person uh, the famous fan who would who oh would, yeah yeah from yeah. the Wayland Fulucci. Who would, yeah, yeah yeah who Fulucci, who, who, would, who would get uh, the opposing team so riled up they'd want to climb the bleachers and beat him up, which is yep. just fantastic. Yeah, and so and, and he there's like local characters and 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 what it did for me was it it made me depressed that I didn't get to see this because this this seems really special. Um, but it was just absolutely wild. I will say I did have one question: mm -hmm. How come the name keeps changing? Like it was the Thunderhawks and then it became the Senators, I believe, and then it was the. I think the Thundercats at one point. I think it's different leagues. 
Yeah. If I recall, I think the leagues actually changed. So that was the Colonial Hockey League. Right. And that was the first year. And it, it tells in the documentary, and I don't remember how long it went for. But when it changed uh, leagues and a team folded, that was a new team. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe it was like I thought maybe it was like Thunder Bay how like the streets re- rename every four blocks. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like no maybe kidding. the hockey is doing the same. A lot thing. of people were confused and asked me why I didn't get some other uh, prominent local hockey figures, but they were weren't on that original Thunder Bay uh, Thunderhawks team. And you want to focus on the story, right? No, that's it. And it that's... it could have been like I said. Uh, I remember Chris's article on uh, the CBC alluding to uh, maybe it was a subline uh, hockey history mystery. And that's what really sucked me in. I my original idea was to try to find out where this cup went. Mm-hmm. Like they went to certain parties, what establishments, where to go, and f- nobody could remember, or they didn't want to tell, which is fine. Yeah, of because course, because they're all professionals now, you know. Yeah. So we're, um, <laughs> we're we are yeah, different yeah. time, different place. Exactly. So I made probably halfway through the interviews, I, I I turned to Chris. I said, "We're not getting what I needed. I'm going to pivot and make it about Thunder Bay." And I think that was the right move. Focus it here. And then if it was good enough to entertain the people here, there's hockey people everywhere. It's going to grow. And that's the neat thing I always say about uh, documentary is it's a, if you if you let it live yeah. and listen to it, it'll tell you what the story is. Oh, I love really editing about. it. Like yeah. uh, pe- people get frustrated, but it's like an enormous puzzle. I'm not going to say I'm a huge puzzler, yeah. but I enjoy just weaving together all these stories and making, you know, um, a linear tale that, you know, hopefully enlightens, entertain some people along the way. And so uh, now uh, you, you had mentioned something, uh, you're, you're, you're prepping for something new. And so uh, you, so what is happening now? What's happening in the world of, of Ryan Lavia? So Cup Confidential came out, like I said, December 11th, 2020. Took a bit of time off because that was exhausting. Had a, had a, a baby girl. That's even be more happy. exhausting. Yeah, exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that's all about. And so I needed some time off. I'm always looking for stories, uh, mostly uh, local themed ones, because I knew, A, I have no luck getting funding to help me get to other places to tell stories. Right. So the stories are going to have to come from within. <laughs> but Thunder Bay is full of stories. It is. You know, good or bad, take it as it will. Yep. It's full of stories. Um, took some time off and then came across another story that the theme kept popping up in media that's all around here. And it's about the local opioid epidemic mm-hmm. and drug uh, and health. Uh, mental health issues that arise and the deaths that are being caused. Now being a fresh father of a newborn daughter, it horrified me reading these stories. And I thought people need to know about this who aren't from here. And maybe even they are from here because there is a stigma that goes along with it still, unfortunately. So assembled a good team because I knew now being a father of one and one coming at that time. Now I'm a proud father of two girls. That's right. Congrats. Two under two. (laughs) You could imagine. Started almost a year ago from taping this. So I'll say December, mid-December 2021, mm-hmm. had my first pre-interview with individuals of the film. And had they said, no, there's no way I want to take part in this or I don't think it warrants telling, I would have dropped it and sure. went to look for something else. But it was jaw-dropping, the information I got from them. And they said, this story needs to be told. I didn't want to mess it up. The opioid thing is serious. Mental health is serious. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And there's... A lack of resources up here in Thunder Bay in the surrounding area. That was the genesis of that. A year later, the film's called The Sobering Story. It's uh, been a year in production. And to be <laughs> funny story, so I, I mentioned I was a father of two. We were actually filming the day 
my second daughter was born. <laughs> my co-producer had to tap me on the shoulder, said, we're getting late because I would go after work because I, I work a full-time job. Sure, Monday yeah. Friday, this you know? is how we do it. We hustle. This is how we hustle. So uh, on a lunch hour or after work or weekends is yep. when I'm filming. Mm-hmm. So we had our main interviews lined up to start production in February. I needed a couple months of production, uh, pre-production meeting and reading and because I, I didn't know much about it either. So fast forward to February 2021, rolled camera. Um I should mention that Jessica Graham and Matt King are again on board with this project. Keep them close, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they'll, yeah, they're doing great work. Had very key interviews right off the bat. Made me nervous, but I knew I had to get them. Yeah. Wife was in labor. I went into film anyway. Kept the bat phone on. Yeah, I know you're not well, supposed you, to, doing. <laughs> yeah, I know, but this, yeah. is, this is a situation. This is right? a situation. Yeah. She understood. Uh, she understood fully. <laughs> Isn't that weird, by the way, just to put a pin this way? Like, my, my wife is the same way. It's amazing. Without support, yeah, I you, know, I nothing, know. nothing's going to get done. It's amazing. It's amazing. It? So I kept the bat phone on, which you shouldn't do during interviews, especially yeah. crucial ones. Didn't get a ring, but now we're getting close to seven thirty p.m., eight p.m., right. and my co-producer taps me on the folder, shoulder. We're, we weren't done, but he's, my wife's water broke. You should probably get home. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? You're probably right. Take over. I didn't mind giving up the director's chair for a couple of interviews. He understood. Everyone understood. Went home, had an hour, drove her to the hospital. Walked into the hospital. 20 minutes later, no my daughter was way. born. 20 minutes. 20 minutes after getting her to the hospital, my daughter was born. I've heard of parents like these. <laughs> <laughs> first like these. So uh, got that first weekend in, been filming every odd time. With documentary, we're at the mercy of people's schedules. Up until this point, we have almost 40 hours of interviews and content filmed for, I'm hoping, an hour and a half, no longer than two-hour film. We should be wrapped Jan, Feb 23, camera. Mm-hmm. Matt is... Is he's not editing, but he's organizing as the interviews so we can go full tilt when he gets the baton. If all goes right, the film will be out third quarter 2023. We'll be looking forward to it. Well, fingers crossed, everything goes right. You know yeah. what I mean? Things happen, but uh, yeah, it's 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 an important story. So thank you, Ryan, for doing that. I impress upon the students that at the end of the day. You know, whether it's great art or or if you or if you flub and you gotta try again, just try and make the world a little better place. You know what I mean? Just just somehow we can we can make this art mean something. Yes. And so that's that's what you're doing here. And I really think that's awesome. Oh no, thank you so much. It's it's I don't expect to have as many glowing reviews as Cup Confidential because the topic is so broad. We yeah. and we can't get to everyone. Yeah. Like I get emails weekly through Facebook, through the email. Can I be part of this? I have a story. I have. I know somebody. We can't get to everybody. Yeah. That's the sad part and reality of it. Yeah. But we're going to do what we can with what we have. Tell it as best we can. I'm willing to stick my neck out there and take the blame if it's told poorly mm-hmm. or didn't get all the perspectives that people were hoping to get. Right. But in the end, seeing the film finished and out there, and even if it just changes a few opinions on mental health and addictions issues in Thunder Bay and changing, then it's a win. I yeah, don't care about that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, man. It has been, uh, it's been a long time. I've kept you a little longer than I thought I would, but I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. We don't hang out much, but I do consider you a great friend. And, uh, we'll and change that. We'll and we out. will. And, and, it's, and it's really great seeing you do uh, what you're doing and never stopping. So thank you very much to Ryan Lavia, and thank you everyone for uh, listening to our first episode here. And uh, the song you heard at the beginning of this episode was called Aguiri, and it's uh, 
done by a band here called The Grand View. And oddly enough, let's bring his name up one more time, Adam Sabaz. Yes, he is a part of that band. You've heard his name a few times. Uh, he was the star of Making Music, Dear Dad and Glitch here for Ryan LaVia. Also a Conflicts grad. Uh, when, when we were first chatting uh, a few weeks ago, he gave me this album to listen to. And I heard a query and I came back and was like, is this... Like, this is the Herzog movie. You 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 wrote a song about Aguirre, the Wrath of God. He goes, yeah, yeah, I did. And it was so awesome. And and so I thank you very much to uh, to everyone in the band uh, and, and Adam for allowing this to be the official song of our podcast. Uh, nothing but conflicts all the way. So I thought we would wrap up this episode uh, with the full song of, of Aguirre. Uh, check them out. Their, their, their music is everywhere. You can uh, stream and download and purchase. Uh, support local talent here in Thunder Bay because we're not going to stop making it. <laughs> That's what we do. And uh, we'll see you on episode two. Thank you very much, everyone. So you'll be